Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome all you cool ghouls and friendly fiends to the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky, and with me as always is the dynamic duel of mail-order mysteries and magic, Eddie Guevara and Chuck Caputo. Welcome, gentlemen, to the new year, and uh, how's everyone doing tonight? All right, pretty good, pretty good. Fantastic, fantastic. Awesome, man. So, uh, yeah, we'll get started with some real quick news, and then we'll move on and see how how everyone's new year's been going. Uh, I just wanted to say real quick, I wanted to put this out here, as I'm sure everybody in the whole world knows about that, but we lost one of our favorite movie actresses and all-around great person, Betty White. Oh, yeah. On December 31st. Uh, Betty was born January 17th, 1922, and was 99 years old uh, when she had passed away. And she is, I mean, she was just a fantastic actress, all-around great person. And uh, she was, really her biggest roles were she was Sue Ann Nevins on the Mary Mary Tyler Moore show, Rose Mm -hmm. Nyland from the Golden Girls, which is one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure shows to watch. And, uh, you know, kind of most recently, she was Elka Ostrowski on the Hot in Cleveland TV show, and uh, this is something I didn't I didn't know until I was reading up a little bit about her uh, before this podcast. Here is that she worked in television uh, longer than anyone else in that medium in in nine or I'm sorry, not nineteen in 2018. She won a Guinness World Record. So wow. definitely very cool, and she she's going to be missed and. You know, I might have to do a little Golden Girls uh, uh, <laughs> marathon just to, you know, in, in her uh, her memory. But yeah, we're definitely gonna miss her. She was she was one of a kind and, and last of a, a different breed from that came out of Hollywood. So, um, all right. That being said, uh, hey Chuck, what's what's going on with you? How was your your New Year's? Oh man, pretty good. I tell you what, we had the uh, crock pot going with uh, kibasi, homemade kibasi and pork, and I watched uh, my wife and I watched the uh, Twilight Zone marathon on the on the Sci Fi Channel. It was really cool, you know. So she's she's really into into Twilight Zone. So that's that's you know that's cool. That's a plus, you know. And uh, yeah, so it was so it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Hey Eddie, what about you? How was your your New Year's? What were you up to? Been interesting. <laughs> if the word term "sick as a dog" works, maybe that works. <laughs> the, the other, the other option has been is um, that when you're talking about the Golden Girls, there's two interesting things about Betty White. One is that the New York Post several days ago, right before her birthday, about a week before, had um, an article and was asking her that she was going to be a hundred like in a week, and what kept her living for so long. I forgot exactly what she put, but ironically a day later she dies you know and i say like, wow, wow what are the chances of that that's unbelievable yeah it is so um <clears throat> the other thing is when you're saying about a golden girl oh boy if, if chuck had a marathon with the twilight zone my wife has been feeding me for the last four consecutive months <laughs> a marathon <laughs> with the golden girl yeah. oh, that's awesome <laughs> oh my god well it got to the point where right now i really don't want to see this show anymore <laughs> She really religiously watches the show every single night for like hours, man. You you know that that show when it was up from eighty five to ninety two, and I tell you what, the jokes and everything on there still hold up to this uh, to, today. That's, it, a, that's a funny show. I love Estelle Getty on there, who played the the old lady. She'd say, uh, "Picture this, Sicily, nineteen twenty three. You know, that was it was <laughs> that was hilarious. You know what's funny is I, I believe Estelle Getty was the youngest one on there she was the youngest at the one time, and, and Betty White was portrayed as you know she was the oldest one and she was portrayed as the youngest on there. It was real. Yeah. It's real interesting when you look at their characters on there to their real life, you know, ages. It was everything was really flip flop. Oh yeah, funny, funny show. You know, I think they were the same producers all the way back. Is it Susan Harris? I believe it, you know they went all the way back to soap. You remember soap, way back yeah. in the late seventies. Yeah. That, that was hilarious too. Well, oh, I, I don't think Joe can remember that way back, but yeah, I remember soap. Oh man, that's where Jay uh, Johnson, the ventriloquist, Chuck and Bob got their uh, got their start. That was hilarious. Oh. <laughs> I remember 
this with the uh, the Golden Girls, though, is that I, there was an article, I don't think, again, with Betty White, that was kind of interesting. Uh, same week that she passed away, they had a, one of the shows. They're talking about, you know, that they're getting old. They just realized they're getting old together, and they're all going to go into a nursing home. So they make a pact that yeah. together they go into the nursing home. And then uh, Betty White goes, well, there's going to be a problem. What happens when there's only one of us left? And then the... <laughs> The mom, the, the older, the youngest one, the mom, which is supposed to be the older, goes, it's okay, I know how to take care of myself. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of funny, though, because, I mean, the, ironic, she died a couple of days later. But, um, yeah, the, it's an interesting show. And, and I know, uh, and, and you know, I know there's the gym and Charlie, my buddies, and and Michael Torres, they're always watching that stuff. You know, they're always watching that those shows and the old shows and but I got to tell you, though, um, I was watching one particular show that I watched last night and the night before was The Honeymooners. And they had on YouTube oh. a special with uh, Harvey. <clears throat> and, you know, I thought it was so funny the way he goes, well, you tell your pal Harvey. <laughs> That's a good it's one. It's a funny name. <laughs> and, he goes, and he goes, my pal Harvey is bigger than me. Because yeah. I have a friend Shirley that's bigger than you. <laughs> you know, you know that was one of my favorite episodes. That was in the uh, in the pool hall in the pool hall, right? That was hilarious. That's, that's correct, yeah. And, and I thought it was really hilarious when the guy comes out, and then Norton goes, uh, "You know, Ralph, he's even bigger than your pal Harvey. I mean, your pal Shirley." <laughs> Man, you know what? That was one of the funniest sitcoms. That's up in my top five. I love, oh. I love the Honeymooners, and, and from what I read about it. They did not even rehearse. Uh, that was just they come out. They just looked at the script, and they just and they just went with it. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Isn't yeah. that kind of what they did for uh, Dark Shadows as well? I think so. I think I did read that. Yeah, I, I'm not too much up on my my Dark Shadows history, but I believe that's kind of how how it was for them because they they did everything kind of like in you know live in one take. Because you know as you watch them, you could see sometimes the boom mic will come in. Sometimes or the boom the, mic. Uh, yeah. yeah, the actors will, you know, mess up their lines, but keep going. And, you know, there's a, you could look online and find all the goofs of, of Dark Shadows. But I believe that's how it kind of worked for them. They were mm-hmm. kind of given the script, said, yeah, yeah, read it real quick. And, hey, we're, we're going live. And, you know, because it was on every day. And um, I'm sure that's still how they do it for, um, oh, what do you call it, soap operas and all that. But, man, that, that's, that would be something really hard. I mean, you have to really be a, a professional in your – Professional. Prof- I tell you, you what – Your, going, your actor going, or actress's abilities. <laughs> I tell you what, the Honeymooners had the right combination. They were all good. Art Carney, you know, and, uh, you know, Norton, uh, uh, he was great. Uh, the wife, was that uh, Audrey – Audrey Meadows, I believe? Was that – Joyce the- Randolph. Audrey Meadows is our yeah. – wife of Ralph. Ralph, yeah, they were all, mm-hmm. yeah, they were all great, you know. And she was not the original wife, Audrey Meadows. Uh, Pert was it? I can't remember. Pert, Pert Kelton, I think, was the original uh, wife of uh, of uh, Ralph. And uh, they got, and for some reason, she, she lasted maybe a year, and, and they got rid of her. Well, um, apparently not for the Dirty Dine episodes. I think they had her what they call the lost episodes, right? You made, but um. Not only was the cast of four just unanimously working together in perfect harmony, but the, also the mother-in-law. When the mother-in-law got into oh. the fights with Ralph, that that's some of the most hilarious oh, that parts was hilarious. of the show. That was hilarious. Uh, but, you you know, one thing I'm going to tell you, especially with R. Connie, is that uh, R. Connie was just funny, the way he would come out with these stupid things. And when you're talking about being rehearsed, you could tell. Because there was one there where Ralph, I think, goes to our... Uh, oh, I mean... Uh, supposed to be Ralph tells Norton and goes, uh, Norton, how can I get something? And then Norton came and said something really stupid. He just looked at him for a second, like, how do I respond, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it was definitely not rehearsed. But another show that did that very well uh, was, um, I believe, um, well, the, I, don't, I, I can't say another show did because I don't remember now which show I'm talking about. But in the thing that I was going to say about the Honeymooners that was very unique is that it was done, and in fact, uh, Jackie Gleason felt that it would, the way it was done, there was no way they could reproduce the second season and be as funny as the first. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's only one season, because a lot of people think, hey, but all the addresses they used there were actually real addresses. Like mm-hmm. th- 385-something Chelsea Street was actually 
um, you know, um, Jackie Gleason's actual childhood, 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 home. childhood home. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, they show it, you know, like, well, you can go on Google, uh, that address and it'll show you the actual building where, um, Jackie Gleason, uh, lived in. Yeah. And it was all actually filmed in a hotel called the Sheraton something theater, mm-hmm. in New York. And there, I believe, uh, Jackie Gleason owned the the penthouse there for real. That's where he lived. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and later on, as when I think the Jackie Gleason show, I don't know if that was prior or before or after, uh, he went down to uh, Florida and, and, and right there on, on Collins Avenue, they still have the theater that was his, the Jackie Gleason Theater or something like that, yeah. still there. Right. Um, and he was such a great thing in New York City that they actually right outside the Port Authority in 2000 and something, they erected a big statue of uh, Ralph Cramdom there. You know, it's about oh, eight and a half feet tall. Yeah, that's great. And it's it's a phenomenal show. It's just funny all the way, you know? Absolutely. Hey, the thing that always appealed to me, if you can have comedy with, with such a basic set, I mean, his apartment had just a table. You know what? Maybe maybe like a little place where you where you had put his hat when he'd come home from work. I mean, a sink and a stove. And that was it. You know, that was amazing. You know that they could get such comedy with just such little little bit of props. I mean, it was all it was all just what they were saying and the and the way they were acting. They actually said that that's how his actual apartment looked like. And wow. the funny thing about it, you know, we're talking the 1950s when they did the show. But when I came, that I was very young, that I came from Cuba uh, in New York City, the apartment looked kind of similar to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. So I don't think there was a lot of changes until like the late 80s, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and but, they had a and they had an ice box back then you know what uh we've been living in the house this house now for almost 30 years since my wife got married and we bought it from an from an old italian couple and they had a few they had a few outdoor milk boxes that were still out there but they haven't been used in years but but back when we first moved there there was those metal milk boxes so apparently somewhere down the line prior to us moving here maybe in the 70s or whatever they they actually had milk uh delivered you know i can't remember that you know but i do you know, I but I do know people that had uh, milk delivered many years ago, and I've read different things about it. But yeah, there were still milk boxes here. There, there is uh, my uh, my aunt's husband uh, used to have uh, an aunt in her almost in her nineties, and she had a house from like nineteen twenty three in the Paramus area of New Jersey. Yeah, and uh, I went one day, you know, to the house a couple of years ago with my wife. And when I walked into the kitchen, it looked like it came directly from um, Leave it, Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> and I said to her, how old is this kitchen? Because it's an immaculate condition. She goes, I've never cooked in it. Oh, Everything man. you see here, I think she told me it was from like 1948. Wow. And I said, wow, man. And you know what's kind of funny, though? This lady never made a repair to the house. It was immaculate. You know, she never had uh, her husband's. She had like two husbands who had died, you know, way, way back in the in the 50s or 60s. Yeah. And she thought she was young within her heart. She was always very young. She almost died at 100. But what I'm saying to you about this woman is her house and all her furniture were unique back to the 60s and 70s. And most of that went back to the 50s, such as the kitchen. If anybody in Hollywood would have seen that house, they would have rented that house out. Oh, they would have flipped. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I just wonder what happened because I think it went into some probate. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though she had no family member, I don't think she left it to my uncle or anything. She just like, you know, left the house and I think the state took it. Away. I don't know exactly what happened. Yeah. But it was a shame. And she always would say a lot of times, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> I guess she never did, though. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved it. Yeah, I love those but, kinds of houses. When I was a kid, when we'd go over over to my grandmother's, it was exactly that, Eddie. I mean, she had doilies, you know, what the doilies all around, like on the little end tables. And uh, it was just unreal, man. She had a radio from like the 20s or 30s, one of those pull-out radios. And, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it was just it was just like you're stepping back in time. I mean, it was a very peace, peaceful place. You know, when you go there, it was quiet, and you could hear the clock actually ticking. You know, like I can remember I, that. I, that was, I remember those things, man. You yeah. know who got recently who had some luck like that a couple of years ago dave harvest he got i don't know how it turned out he got invited to where the original houdini house was oh that, okay that, that the lady who who had owned it who took it over after i think houdini sold it to her lived there for like 50 years or something wow and he was able to go in and they were doing construction remodeling 
And I think, not I think, I know as a fact he was able to acquire the actual um, vanity <laughs> from oh, the Houdini nice. house. Is that, is that in Harlem, uh, Eddie? Yeah. Okay. It's in 125th Street, I believe, in Harlem. Oh, good. Yeah. Yep. And, um, but it's kind of funny, though, because, I mean, that's like going back in history. I forgot who, I, I don't know if he told me David Copperfield, somebody owns the bathtub that he used to use to practice to do his underwater torture. Uh. <laughs> So somebody bought that, but I'm saying that it's it's cool just knowing that you're actually holding in your hand. Oh yeah, something. And I can tell you this much: when I, you know, when I came from Cuba, very small age, in 1968, um, and I arrived in New York, the apartment still had dumb waiters in it. You know, the dumb waiters. If Joe, you don't know what that is, is in the kitchen. It would have a a, a thing like a little elevator with a rope. Yeah. And you lowered the you lowered the garbage down to the to the basement where the super would get it. And all the buildings had what they had a big thing called fallout shelters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That everything was based on the cold war era and stuff. And um, so most of the buildings in New York would say that if you go to the basement, it was for, you know, fallout shelter in case it was a nuclear attack on the United States or something. Yeah, I didn't understand as a kid, I didn't understand what that meant, but that's what, but anyway, most of those things were sealed, the dumbwaiters, because what happened is during the 70s and 60s, uh, a lot of people would help themselves onto the waiter and go to the next apartment, start robbing apartments, you know? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so they stopped that, but it was kind of funny though, because in my kitchen in, in New York, every time I looked at that, I always thought about opening that door and it reminded me of that movie. Remember that I said, it's very scary, says, uh, don't be afraid of the dark. Right. The lady goes in the basement and opens up. Well, that's the funny thing about that because that dumb waiter is there. And what I find fascinating, especially about old houses like that, is when my parents were living in Jersey before they moved to Florida way back and I lived with them, one day I remember me and my stepfather were opening up this doorway in the kitchen and lo and behold, we found inside the wall a sliding door that had the frosted glass probably from the 1920s when they built the house. Isn't that so? And we actually were able to dig that door and start using it again. Wow. And it was a, a really old-fashioned sliding door. That's amazing. It's so, it's so fascinating to get those old Victorian houses and look for where you find attics and stuff you've never been in. Yeah. And you know what? I've actually I've actually known a few people, yeah, when they were, when they were uh, remodeling, they tore walls and they found some stuff in there. Even, even like a can of beer or a can of soda pop you know what that the contractors sealed up in there i mean that thing was like 50 60 years old you know and well, uh one guy actually found a helmet buried in his wall it turned out to be a roman helmet and it was worth like was it two hundred thousand dollars or something like that oh wow I never, yeah i never have any well, luck like that I well, can't find anything. In, in california there was a guy that used to work i think for mgm or something back in the 30s or late i have you know like the very early era and one time he needed to um, <laughs> insulate his house. So he started getting a bunch of the Universal Monsters and stuff, posters. Wow. And used them as insulation. This came out last year, I think. I'm <laughs> sure you guys probably read about it. And when they were doing some upkeep in the house, whoever the new owner is, when they broke down the wall, they found a Dracula poster there that was, I think, sold or sold for $270,000. Wow. It was kept in perfect condition because since it was sealed between the wall, there was no air or anything going in. No the elements didn't hurt it. But, you know, those are the things that are really fascinating, especially when you, uh, and I know as a fact, a, a certain person I know has been writing a book um, that's very interesting. I'm not going to take the title, but it does deal with that hidden aspect of things. And I know that person has been working on it for like 15 years now. <laughs> wow, that would that, hey, that's an interesting topic, you know, because like yeah. I said, I've I've read a lot of things. One person, uh, they they moved into a house and it was kind of like furnished. There was still some curtains and drapes inside the seam of the drapes. There was there was hidden money, you know, that like the previous owner almost was like a miser, and they would uh, sew it into the seam. And I guess they died, and they didn't have a chance to tell anybody, and they it was in there. I mean, I mean, you know, man, is that is that luck or what? Yeah, but you know what's crazy about that? That people don't realize if you find money like that, that's old. Mm -hmm. It's not that you just found the money for whatever. It's that if it goes back to the 30s and 40s, you might be finding some of those they call silverbacks or right. whatever dollars. Right. They're worth a loan. Like, for example, 
Uh, I remember I got married in 83, right? For whatever reason, I took one time $1,000 to the bank and I wanted to see what $1,000 looked like. Uh, and I was able to get one, right? Just I just did it for the heck of it because I wanted to see what it looked like. And then they also had the $500 bills. Uh, those today, if you had any of those, they sell for a good buck. In fact, there was a $10,000 bill that was published back in the 1950s one today does about fifty, sixty thousand. Is that something? So wow. that's what I'm saying. So it's not just having uh, found found old money. Say if you mm -hmm. go to a house and you find, but it's also the fact of you know of what they could be worth. And uh, it kind of goes back, and, and this is kind of like getting off that topic, but getting back into when you were saying, uh, which this is ironic, though it's funny to say about what I'm about to say. But my wife grew up watching Dark Shadows. I was not introduced to Dark Shadows. In fact, I didn't even know what it was mm -hmm. or what it was about until probably the late 90s. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I never watched it as a kid. It wasn't on television in the 70s. Um, maybe it was, but you know what? To be honest with you, I never really realized it. I can't recall it. Um, of course, I grew up watching Bugs Bunny and Superman and Batman and you know, I didn't really care for Dark Shadows and the fact that it looks more like a telenovela, as you would call it, or mm -hmm. a freaking soap opera, I probably would have, you know, turned it around because um, my wife used to watch it with her family. Uh, but then again, she's four years older than me. So, you know, she used to watch it and, and it was entertaining for me. Even today, I, I look at the show and I sound like, boy, that's the most boring episode I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. When you look back at it now, you know, by today's standards, it's like, holy smokes, you got to be kidding me. But yeah, but back when I was a kid, I used to watch that. And yeah, that was pretty cool. Like, I remember Quentin and, um, uh, yeah, the, you know, uh, Barnabas. I think they had a few Dark Shadow movies, if I'm not mistaken, when I was a kid. They they I, have, and, and they've revised it. But you know what, they, what it is, to be honest with you, Chuck, even to this day, I really, I know Barnabas Collins because of whatever reason, going to Chiller, my friend yeah. Jim, who obviously watched it, and Charlie. But me, myself, I got to be honest, I know very little about the show. I've never had the interest of watching because like even if for black and white, it had no background noise. It, it looks more like somebody actually took a camera right, and was right. filming on the kitchen of somebody's uh, house. Mm -hmm. it, it's very, I don't know. So that's the only reason I don't care for it. My wife loves it. Um, I wasn't really a big. And then this guy we had in our show one time, uh, and you remember, Joe, what's his name? Um uh, the guy who did the count that he went on that uh, Spanish count, um, Ray Castillas. My gosh, I, I can't <laughs> I almost forgot his name there for a second. Ray was very big in, in Barnabas Jones and, and, and you know, because he collected and he did that Spanish vampire from Mexico. Uh, uh hot, what is it called? Hotbacks Joe or Co Coffin Joe? Coffin Joe. Yeah, Coffin Joe. Yeah, he portrayed Coffin Joe in a couple of times. Ray Castile, you know, he's a he's a that's one of his favorite people and stuff. So, again, everybody had their thing. I grew up watching Dracula, Abbott and Costello. Uh, I, and when you're saying with, uh, you know, like Barnabas Collins and stuff like that, uh, that they did that show without any scripting, I wouldn't doubt it because I don't think he had that much to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> it's very simple. So I could see me just going in and acting it out. Yeah, uh, one of the people that uh, this is going to be a funny thing too when we talk about all these old films is, like, well, when you take Bela Lugosi when he acted as Dracula, Bela Lugosi took his roles very serious. Right. And in fact, he would get mad at you if you joked around. So one of the things that was funny about it, like in the time of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, is that Costello's running all around the place joking around, and <laughs> and I heard that Bela Lugosi used <laughs> to get mad at him, you know. Yeah, I could see that. I could see what that. What are you doing? You know, like, stop joking around. This is a serious matter. I am an actor. Yeah. I will bite you in the neck. But the whole thing is that it also reminded me, James Spader, and one of the reasons the Blacklist is probably so good is because he takes his acting so serious. Takes it serious. Yeah. They don't take it as a joke around. Like, me, you, and Joe will probably be joking around. Oh, I did. Throw us I, off the set. Oh, I'd get, I'd get thrown out of there in two minutes. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't take long. And, and Joe would follow, right, Joe? Absolutely. Hey, you know, you you had mentioned uh, a little bit earlier about, you know, fallout shelters and, and the Cold War. And, you know, last week I had talked about one of the most frightening movies I, I've ever seen. And I kind of 
you know, teased everybody that I would put it out this this podcast. So real quick, you know, I'd like to talk about this movie because if someone out there, you know, it's everybody's pretty, you know, I guess hit up after the holidays, for lack of a better word, you know, with Christmas parties and everything, it might be looking for something um, different and interesting to watch. So I I guess that this might be the movie to do it. And it's, it it kind of still holds up today for what's going on in this world, but even more so if, if you live through uh, the cold war era now, now you two obviously lived in it a lot more than I did. I, you know, I was in the eighties right up to when it uh, ended, but I still remember being in school and, you know, just like I'm sure you guys do doing, you know, the duck and cover under the desks or, going to the fallout shelters and could still remember, you know, the sirens going off when you had to do drills and all that stuff. Um, but this movie I'm going to talk about real quick. It's, it's from 1984 and it's called threads. Oh, Have I've you guys heard ever of heard of it? No, I've never heard of it. Threads. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how I, I can't remember how I came across it a couple months ago. If I was listening to another podcast or, or what, when I, I heard it, but I'm going to, just a, a brief synopsis about it. I'm going to read it directly from uh, Wikipedia for everybody out there. So Threads is a 1984 British Australian apocalyptic war drama television film jointly produced by the BBC nine network and Western world television Inc written by Barry Hines and directed and produced by Mick Jackson. It is a dramatic account of nuclear war and its effects in Britain, specifically on the city of Sheffield in northern England. The plot centers on two families as a confrontation between the United States and the Soviet Union erupts. As the nuclear exchange between NATO and the Warsaw Pact begins, the film depicts the medical, economic, social, and environment, environmental, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> environmental consequences of nuclear war. So it was shot on a budget of 400 euros. The film was the first of its kind to depict a nuclear winner. It has been called a film which comes closest to representing the full horror of nuclear war in its aftermath, as well as the catastrophic impact that the event would have on human culture. Um, so th- this film, it, it, it's definitely, yeah, it's an apocalyptic war drama, but it's also a horror movie as well. There's definitely some horror aspects to it and. Mm. I don't know who did the special effects on it, but they were absolutely fantastic and horrifying. Oh, and I, would like I, said, I would definitely check that out. Threads. Okay, cool. Yeah, Threads from 1984. I, I believe you could find it on YouTube. Okay. But, I mean, I'm going to tell you what. The, this movie, there was – I think I had to stop it about three times because really? it is wow. it, it is very impactful and terrifying. And especially if you lived during the time of – the cold war, which I'm sure a majority of our audience has right. Th- this movie will hit you a lot more. And if you didn't live during that time, I would advise you to maybe read up on, on the cold war and what actually went on and how close we mm-hmm. came to, Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, all out nuclear war throughout the world and then watch this movie and kind of put yourself into, you know, what's going on and, and they do it so well. And it's just, it's absolutely terrifying how how mm. it's portrayed and it's very from reading the reviews and and you know critics and all that that it is very um it's very realistic in how everything is portrayed and like mm. i said there's some very horror aspects to it um uh whoever did the special effects very fantastic uh the set designs and everything are just fantastic the the way the shots are set up and the editing i i think it was all around it, it's a great movie i i don't think it's one that i'm going to revisit anytime soon because it is it, it's just wow it, it's something i i just don't you know don't want to because it, it's it's t- it's a terrifying movie um i'd seen that there was a counterpart to it um, the day after, which was an American version, which came out in 1983 uh, by ABC Television Network. So I want to check that out and see how that compares to mm-hmm. uh, Threads. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could really stomach Threads. And I tell you what, I, I've th- there's no horror or scary movie, or you know, I, I I have seen a lot in my life, but watching this movie because you kind of put yourself into these people's shoes. 
Wow. You know, of what would actually be going on. And it's, it's absolutely terrifying. So if you're out there and you're looking for something new to watch and you say you don't get terrified by movies, my friends, I'm going to tell you what, this movie will do it. And you know what? I'm going to post it on the uh, the forum site under Crypto Classics. It'll be Threads 1984. And if you watch the movie or have seen it, drop us a line on there. And I'm really interested to know what everyone kind of mm. thinks of this movie. And if you've lived through the Cold War, um, you know, what were some of your your experiences? Because, I, you know, I didn't really have, you know, many because, like I said, we were at the I was at the tail end of it. But, you know, I do remember running the drills. Um sitting there watching the news with my parents or grandparents. And it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a scary time even oh. you know, leading up to the end because you didn't know it was ending. You know, it was just still ongoing. Right. So, well, I'm, I'm going to say something to you. I don't read, I don't know if, if Chuck had, but I never had any type of drills. Uh, and I grew up in Manhattan. So we really, had, yeah, nothing. Was, listen, when I was a kid, I got to be honest with you, the cold war wasn't even mentioned. I think like late 70s is when you heard some stuff. And I remember one particular thing I saw a few years ago was called The Threat of World War Three, And it was a documentary where it had Ronald Reagan and Yeltsin and stuff. And there was a couple of episodes there where Ronald Reagan actually launched a missile over Russia. And and he had Yeltsin almost ready to press the button. And then he, he called up Ronald Reagan and said, hey, are you crazy? With What did you... <laughs> Because, you know, he wanted, I think, the United States was attacking Russia. And then Reagan kind of smiled back in his seat and said, ha, 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 what do you think I was going to, you know, but the whole thing is that it, we, we didn't know how close we were. Yeah, it we were. It was very close. And we, but that. this is not even the Cold War. This is after the fall of the Cold War, I think. Right. Know? Now, what about what about you, Chuck? Did you guys have uh, have to do the drills and all that? Yeah, I was in kindergarten in 1969, I believe. So, like, yeah, like around that time, and even first grade, I do remember something about it. I can't remember exactly, but I but I do remember some type of drills. Fire remember, drills we had, fire yeah. drills we had, but not. <laughs> and I remember actually praying in school too. Public schools, you actually prayed a little bit in, back in those days. You know, you you know, you just didn't say the pledge of allegiance. He actually prayed a little bit, and uh, yeah, so it was just a, it was just a different world, man. Yeah. And out in the and out in the playground, we we had dangerous things. I remember monkey bars with those metal bars. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, I, like I remember a few kids, they they busted their teeth pretty good on those things. I mean, th- those things were dangerous, and they used to uh, kids used to hang upside down on them, and it was a it was a cement. Uh, a parking lot underneath it. I mean, holy smoke! I, I tell you, what's more scary than than nuclear war is what was that thing on the playground that used to spin around and you would have to hold oh. on for dear life. Yeah, yeah. some of that <laughs> stuff was dangerous. Oh, uh, I can't remember what the heck that thing was called, man. But I remember getting tore up on that thing a few times. Uh, that yeah. was like kids would go, you know, parents or or somebody, you'd get the strongest <laughs> kid to spin it, and you'd see other kids just flying, flying right off. It. Oh, I'll t- yeah. I'll, you know, when you guys are talking about that, you reminded me, Joe, one day uh, when skateboards were getting popular with us kids, you know, back in the 70s, my mom gets me a, a skateboard called the GT. And it was like, I remember it was orange. It wasn't as big as a full-size skateboard. It was like a small miniature one. And I'm going down. I used to live like in um, 173rd Street where I grew up in, in Washington Heights. Uh, the, I, I was going down. It was kind of like a hill and right in front of school. I'm going down the block, and I remember every time you went over the sidewalks, you know, indentation, it would go like tick, 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 tick. And when I turned the corner in the bottom, the freaking skateboard went from under me. Oh, yeah. And I went flat in my back. But I, I hit the ground so hard that I started seeing, you know, Jupiter and Saturn yeah. and a few yeah. other planets. <laughs> and I was praying like, oh, can I please move my legs again? Like, I was so scared of the drop yeah. I had. And you know what? I picked that up and I said, the heck with this. I think I gave yeah. up on skateboarding, man. Yeah, I tell I you what, I, I, I had a skateboard. It was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle skateboard, I believe. And this was, was probably like mid mid 80s or so, you know, 86, 87. And um, I, I lived behind a church and they had a huge parking lot, you know, that was real nice and flat. So we used to go skateboarding there. And man, I remember hitting a rock or something, I went flying forward and scraped <laughs> up my chin, my elbows, my knees. Yeah. I said, oh, you know, I said, screw yeah. this, man. I'm sticking never, with the bike. I never, you know what? I never trusted those things. You know, I, I, I think I did it once. I was on my back so fast. 
I said, forget it. You know, I couldn't wait though. I remember by 1976, I got a 10 speed. 10 speeds were really popular back then. And I bugged my parents. I bugged them and they, and they did buy me one for Christmas. It was so cool. I Chuck, mean, I had a, now I'm sure you might remember this speaking of bikes is, and I had got it. It was my first bike I got in the mid eighties. It was a banana seat bike. Oh, absolutely. With, with the, the back tire was like flat. Yeah. And then, you know, you had the regular front tire. Oh man, it was such a cool bike. They were, then, they were too cool. They were yeah. too cool. The only thing no. bad with it, it didn't go fast. You know, when everyone in no. the neighborhood got like their, uh, <laughs> their faster bikes and all that, then I, you know, I had to upgrade eventually, but man, that <laughs> was such a cool bike. I, I think uh, my parents still have it in the garage. I remember uh, the seat nice. was striped and it was all gray with black trim. It, man, it was sweet. You, oh, that was a nice looking bike. You know something funny? Some of those bikes had a, a handle in the center, like a brake handle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you pulled the handle back, it was like a shifter from a car. And I thought I, I had the banana. It's funny, Joe, because I was about to mention that and you you came ahead of me there. But they, I had a banana seat bike too, and I was like super good on it. And I remember when Corvettes was around, my mom finally one day, I think around Christmas time, she let me get 79 bucks and I bought my first 10 speed. But oh, the problem was is in order to take it home that day and not have to, you know, where well, they would build it for you, I went home and I built it myself. But there was a problem with the spokes, and the spokes for some reason would fall off. So, <laughs> you know, they weren't tight, so I had to get the the wheel aligned and stuff. But before it did that, I remember going into the park in New York City, and I'm driving around this park right by the George Washington Bridge there. And some guy is coming, man, and somehow my bike and his interlinked each other. And I and the guy flew over <laughs> the bike. Okay, flew over the bike and landed in our backs. And uh, it was kind of funny because we both flew together. So think of a bike going diagonally and the other one going horizontally. They made on where I think I hit him in between the, the brakes and the, uh, not the brakes, the, uh, the back and front wheel. And he went forward, and I went forward. We killed each other, and then we got up. Nothing happened. We just left. I was an older guy, so he probably said, it's a little stupid kid, you know? Let me yeah. leave him alone. And um, so basically, I killed the guy, you could say, that day. But let me tell you, though, the banana seat bike, those were probably, in my opinion, one of the better-made bikes. I know they were not as fast, but, man, they were really, really phenomenal. Oh, yeah. They, they appeared in American Pickers. Remember oh that? really? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my my uh, brother was seven years older than me, and he had an English racer, and that was a cool bike. That was really neat, and uh, he had, he had a generator actually on it, and it would it would light up the light in the middle of the like in the middle of the handlebars. It was kind of cool, but yeah, that went back to the that went back to the sixties. I think the English racer it was really nice. Yeah, and you know what they also did? You remember when they had they, they were uh, the mini bikes were very famous. And Johnson mm-hmm. Smith used to sell this famous thing, build tire burning chopper. Yeah. Which was like, you know, a, a little mini bike with a small little wheel in the front. But yeah. the coolest thing that you can do to those bikes, is, uh, when I'm talking bikes, I'm talking about the banana seat bikes, where you could add a speedometer to it. Yeah, right. And, and then you added that thing to so tell you how fast you were going. That mm-hmm. was, oh, man, that, that was, was neat. Cool. It was neat. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was, man, I used to, I used to ride bikes from early in the morning on weekends till you know, like after dark and my parents would always be worried. They said, where were you all that time? You know, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even eat. I was all dirty and everything. I would, I would ride in a cemetery a lot. I was always in a cemetery, even, even when I was a kid, a strange kid, but we'd always, me and, me and a few friends of mine would ride in a cemetery. And, and if you wrecked, you just landed in the grass, you know, it was no big deal. <laughs> well, Joe didn't have the same luck. Joe, didn't you tell me, Joe, that you hit a tombstone and that's why you lost your hair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, man, I, that's Chuck. That's what we used to do too, man. It was as soon as you would wait, you know, as soon as the sun would come up, someone would, you know, we had a, a lot of kids in the neighborhood and <laughs> someone was always around. Hey, you ready to go ride bikes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? We all, I always got a flat, man. Cause I remember always getting that repair kit and I'd take the inner tube out and I'd mix that red goop and I'd put the patch over top of it, let it dry. And I'd pump it back up. I was always changing brakes or, uh, doing some type of repair to the inner tube for some reason. You, you, know, you know, it's funny when you look at the inner tube one day, I remember the 10 speed that had the problem. The inner tube came out a little bit over this. Oh, put, yeah. it, put it correctly. Man, yeah. that thing was like somebody shot you with a, with a gun. When yeah. it went off, it was like, pow! Go, wow, what happened? Yeah. A blowout? 
It's pretty tough. The inner tubes were pretty bad in the day, you know? If you think about it, I mean, bikes were pretty dangerous. I mean, they got those little brakes, you know what I mean? And those things didn't always grip real good, you know, particularly the handbrakes, you know? And then, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you would, you'd, you'd pick up a nail or run over something. You'd always get a flat. I was always, like you, I said, fixing something. You know what? One of the things that really surprised me about bikes back in the, in the early eighties or late eighties is one day I go to a Schwinn bike shop and I was just kind of curious about how much the prices of bikes were. And the guy showing me some bikes with shock absorbers, some bikes oh, yeah. that were light and it was going to like as much as 3000. I was like, what? That's unbelievable. I'm, I'm like, hey, I like buying bikes for 100, 150 bucks, and that's it. Exactly. I think my uh, 10 speed was like 125 bucks, and that was big money. It was like, whoa. Yeah, it was. Mine was 79 bucks, and that was good money. Yeah. And I, oh, yeah. If you had a pair of tennis shoes back in the late 60s, early 70s, Converse, they were five bucks. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I remember we used to go to the, uh, oh, what was that, that cheap shoe? Pay, oh, pay, less. pay less, pay less, yeah. Yeah, pay less shoes, and you know we'd get a pair of five dollar shoes, and when they would rip, you'd, you'd throw some duct tape on them and yeah, yeah, head back right. out to the woods, man, and run around. <laughs> that was you it. Know, let me tell you something though. In your time, Joe it was payless. In mine's and Chuck's time, and um, we used to have Buster Brown. Now the thing with Buster Brown that killed it was they used to advertise the, the shoes on TV, and then you get a free present when you go and buy it. And right. one of my favorite was the Periscope. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of like a submarine. It was like a square, long tubular box, but it was a square tube, right? And you could see around the corners. It was called the Spy. You remember that, Chuck? I do remember that. That was cool. I have four of those originals. You know that? Wow. <laughs> I was have the those. coolest toy in the world. But the Buster Brown shoes, man, they were ugly. Oh, they were they were ugly shoes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they were very ugly. You know what? You know, I, I was known as the Kmart kid, man. I would... Uh, would get everything from Kmart a lot of times <laughs> when I was a kid, you know. Things oh yeah, Kmart and Heels. That was the yeah, place. That's right. I was the Kmart kid, man. I had everything there. <laughs> yeah, I used to, I used to get Sears Kmart, but um I remember that the, my favorite shoes see, I always went to Catholic school. So in Catholic school you always had to wear uniform. Right. So I always had to get like you know, school shoes each year and stuff. And I remember when I went to high school, I got a Tomacan came out with a pair of shoes called the Ultra Heels. And what that meant was that the heel would never wear out or it was guaranteed for a lifetime. If your heel ever wore out, you can go exchange them. This is going to make you guys laugh out there, whoever listens to the show. Wow. When I went to the, you know, I used to go to St. Joe's in West New York, New Jersey. Every time I finished my school, like my freshman year, I go to Tom McCann. My shoes were worn out a little. They gave me a new pair, and I did that for the entire four years of high school. Wow, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, but I, of course, then I guess they figured it wasn't a good thing, and they, uh, but they always kept to their uh, guarantee. I was able to change the shoes four consecutive wow. times. Wow! And it wouldn't, you know, they would definitely wear out. It was not, yeah. you know. I remember uh, platform shoes back in the seventies. They were popular. You know, they always. They had heels that, that, you know, the heels under were pretty tall. You know, we all, you know, when I came, <laughs> I came from people. an, yeah, I came from an Italian neighborhood. We all had big throws and platforms and with the Italian horns and everything around our neck. It was funny, but uh, yeah, that would, that would put a couple inches on you. Cause I was just average height all the time. I'm not, even to this day, I'm only five ten, five ten and a half. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, I used to have a pair of those platform shoes. They were like freaking four inches off the ground. Oh yeah. They made you a lot the, taller. I'll tell you that. The one that Joe, and I'm sure Joe's seen this, but the one that really kicked those platforms into the next level was the guy in Car Wash. The guy oh, who plays the pimp. Yeah. He comes out with a pair. He's got a fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Each one. You know what you're talking about, Joe? Or you've never seen Car Wash? I don't think so. Uh-uh. Oh, oh my hilarious. God, Joe. Yeah. What are you doing to us, Joe? You're supposed to be part of the team here. Yeah, you got to check that out. It's hilarious. Oh, oh, man. When did that come out? 1970s. It's yeah. called it's car wash. It's a film based on what it was like to live in the 1970s. Yeah, uh, it's very very true, 150 percent. Oh yeah, Especially from the New York City area because I grew up there, so that's exactly how we dressed. Right. Hey, I tell you what, the 80s were pretty good too, Joe. You mentioned that movie was 1984. I got into Magic professionally by 1985, and uh, I tell you what, that was kind of cool. You know what I mean? The, the the styles were different, and I used to go. 
with a few buddies of mine on a Friday and Saturday night, we'd go to local clubs and try and pick up girls and stuff. And you know what? It was <laughs> yeah. Everybody wore everybody wore polo. We all had polos slapped on us. I remember. You, you, you know what, Joe? You know what, Chuck? Let's be honest. The '80s, because I got married in '83. The '70s were really geeky and made us look stupid. You know, like yeah, you, yeah. you had. I mean, the shirts had a huge um, collar. Oh, the yeah, bell, the size of freaking pizza slices. Yeah, bell bottom uh, pants. Bell bottom, bottom pants. You know that you you look goofy. Even the girls didn't really dress that great or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everybody, and this is the best part. Back then, the girls were thin as heck. You know, yeah. um, if if you had any place or whatever, big breasted girl had no back or had back no breast. There was always like it was totally different from today. The eighties started to be a little like modern day today. It was more modern. And, yeah, there was every people who dressed better. You had the polo shirts. Yeah. You look better. You don't look as geeky. Uh Jordash jeans and Levi's started coming out with ooh, Jalas, Zazun, Zazun jeans. Yeah. And right. now the girls start taking shape. The guys still got, you know, start getting dressed better. Uh it's no longer disco. Now it's like nightclubs and and yeah, I think the 80s in particular were better to live in than the 70s because the 70s where people don't realize in New York City, if you grew up in New York City and stuff, the 70s, uh, New York City was dilapidated. Everything was falling apart. It was going yeah. broke. Mayor Koch, I think, took the city out of uh, depression or recession that it was almost going bankrupt. The South Bronx, you couldn't even pass by there. All the buildings looked like a, a nuclear bomb had shut them down. Right. I remember when my, my parents used to drive me through the the South Bronx for whatever reason, I used to close my eyes because you were afraid of coming to a light and, and not getting mugged or something because that's the only thing that was working. Um, everything was, the, you know, everything was torn down, drug things, uh, all the trains were filled with graffiti. The yeah. 80s started changing that, and the 80s is kind of like a modern day today, but a predecessor to today. And the 80s were, I, I, I think probably when you look at today, today, because today, I guess everything is going so wild, uh, meaning everything from the pandemic that if you look at the 80s, it was probably one of the better era to live in. Yeah, I kind of liked it. It was kind of cool. Right. I, was in, I, I was in college, 80, 83 and 84. And I, I tell you what, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I met a lot of very nice people. As a matter of fact, I just went to lunch with a guy I went to college with. Back in 80, 84, we just met up for lunch, and uh, it was nice to see him. I haven't seen him in like 30 years. Yeah, me, me too. Same time, same area. And I can tell you this much. Okay, New York was still a slum. You still had in like in, in the... the um, oh, sure. You had what do you call it in Times Square. You had all the pornography theaters. Right. You couldn't even walk there. In fact, you wouldn't make it past the night. But you know what, though? Overall, life was simpler, and there was not that many issues and um, I think, uh, especially going out, the nightlife was fun as heck because I used to go out every weekend. Yeah, it was and, cool. Yeah, cool. I really think, and not only that, it, Reagan was in power and stuff, and they, everybody was making money. There were jobs everywhere. It was uh, the seventies are great to remind you know remember for the mail order magic novelty stuff. That, yeah, that was a cool time. For that was order. a cool time if you were very yeah. young. But if yeah. you once you're like 13, 14, the 70s were a little sad, man. You know, they weren't yeah. there weren't that many great years to live in. The average, let's put it this way, in the 70s, we were paying New York City for a three bedroom apartment, $68 a month. Right. So, you know, my mom, I think, used to make like, if I correct, a dollar uh, 25 an hour was the minimum wage. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like really not that so okay, you didn't have as much diseases that the only thing that made the 80s a little kind of sucky, uh, we had the pandemic of AIDS, which oh, was eight, 84. Eight. Yeah. So you walked around like right now, everybody thinks you you have the COVID virus. Back then you used to walk around, you thought everybody had AIDS, you know. What oh, I, mean? I was I was terrified, man. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, oh, they terrified. blew it up to portion. But other than that, you know what, to be honest with you. I, I can say in the early, before the AIDS pandemic came out, I would say between 83, 82, 83 to 87, yeah. it was phenomenal, man. Oh, it was really cool, good. yeah. I tell you what, when it hit the 90s, we were married, we had kids, and they were young. Yeah. I don't even know what happened. It was just a blur, raising kids and working all the time. You know what, Joe? You know what, son, funny, Chuck, that you said that I, I was recently thinking about that, and I was like, how come the 90s? 
I don't remember much of the nineties. I, I don't remember. It, it and just stuff went is, quick stuff on stuff me. Stuff has changed. Stuff has changed so much. It's like unbelievable. I don't. I don't even remember half of the stuff. Like I remember my kids watching Teletubbies and uh, Mr. Rogers on the on the on the public service uh, channel and everything PBS. But I mean, I don't remember a lot about it, man. We were always busy. You know, my wife was working. I was working. We're raising kids. We're driving everywhere. It was crazy. It happened so fast. It did. You, you know what? I'm kind of glad you said that because for a second there, I was saying to myself, I wonder if Joe had something to do it with his time machine or something yeah. that he had taken away my 90s years because he wanted to make it up for himself. Yeah. And now <laughs> you know, I was about to blame Joe, but now you made the, the clear. <laughs> Thanks. Man. And now I could finally sit back and relax a little bit now. You know what? My wife is retired and I'm, I'm kind of slowing down a little bit and I'm kind of just taking a deep breath now and I could I can pick and choose what shows I want you know and everything and so you know what I got a chance to breathe a little bit man and like enjoy myself you know instead of always rushing everywhere you know that, that's true but not if Joe has his way with his time machine you're not going to have any <laughs> any time for that I tell you what I, I really like the the 90s and you know 80s and 90s I thought were really yeah. good and you know you talk about the the dress and everything and it's funny because I see kids nowadays they're starting to dress you know like people did in the eighties a little bit that oh, asked my wife, I said, what's, what are these, you know, jeans that these girls are wearing? Yeah. It's like 80 stuff coming back. Joe, That's Joe, great. If you had the girls that you have today in the eighties, it would have been point blank, the best years of our lives. <laughs> yeah. That just, it wasn't that way back then. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely good. And I tell you the nineties were, were absolutely great too, especially 80s and 90s for music and television and movies and all that. I, I it was yeah. it was fantastic. I, I I find myself sometimes too going on uh, YouTube and you could find uh, 80s or 90s um, compilations of the commercials at that time. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I could sit there for hours and just watch all the different commercials and they start jogging my memory of you know the different products that were out, the toys that came oh. out, the different shows. Yeah. I mean, it was just. It was just so much better in it at right. the time, I, I think. I agree with you, but I'm going to tell you when you said about, like I just said, see, as compared to the 80s and 70s on that, the 80s had great commercials and stuff. But when you look at the commercials from the 70s for kids, like I said, if you're growing up as a kid and you're into the novelty, you're into the the toys, the best time for that was the 70s. Yeah, that was cool. Okay, unfortunately, the 80s didn't really... The 80s, for some reason, the entire world grew up. There weren't too many, you know, stuff going on. And yeah, there were some, a lot of toys like... Um, I think if I'm correct, it was like in the early 80s when uh, this guy became very popular. Castle Grey Skull with... Uh, right, I remember He-Man. that. He-Man. I remember that. And yep. I thought it was cool because he reminded me of, of, of Hercules or something like that. And uh, I remember buying for the heck of it a, a Castle Grayskull, which I still have in its original box. Yeah. Um, but I, I got that stuff because it was just cool to look. But I think there was not that much into toys. Uh, young kids and stuff, well, maybe because I was my age, I was kind of going out, enjoying, oh, let's go meet friends, let's meet girls. Let's this, And it was kind of like a totally different animal. But in yeah. the 70s, though, if you look at the commercials from the 70s as compared to the ones in the 80s, mm-hmm. maybe the very early 80s compared to the 70s a little. But once 82, in fact, and I've said this to Joe, Joe, I, I, you know, I've said this many times. And, and, and you know, I tell anybody who's a collector, they would tell you this too. Anybody who really was in that era and remembers will tell you between 1982, I think, and 1986, give or take. You wouldn't see comic books anywhere. No, no. Like anywhere. No, you're right. The only thing you got was you walked to a supermarket and you had Archie Digest. Right, Archie Digest. But you would not see in any store, anywhere, comic books. And a lot of people go, oh, no, they were still published. They they must have been to the selective few that might have been comic (laughs) book readers. But you wouldn't go anywhere in New York, any candy store. They were not sold anywhere. The only place... That had some, and they were like obscure titles that really stunk. No, uh, right. Were, um, mm-hmm. uh, I think the store is, is very famous. It's in New York City. It's called uh, the Starlog Superstore, something like that. They've been there from the from the sixties or seventies. Mm-hmm. No, Forbidden Planet. That's the name of the store, Forbidden Planet. And you would have that, but yeah, Joe, there was none of that stuff. Those years were kind of like 
you could say it just took away everything from collectors, everything that we knew. No, that did. It seemed like a lot of the toys from the late sixties, early seventies was all about space. I mean, because you know, because the moon landing. You know what? I can remember watching the moon landing live. Was it nineteen sixty nine? I remember watching it. My, yeah, but my, but but the last. My, uh, my uh, brother and me were uh, were making tinfoil spaceships, and we were kind of like putting them on the stove. I remember and see if they'll burn. And my dad was hollering, "Get that off the stove! You're going to cause a fire." Well, that was 1969, I believe, right? Watching the yeah, moon in 1969 when they landed, but in 1973, I remember 72 and 73, I saw the last two moon landings because mm-hmm. they went they went about six times. Right. So right. you know, people say, "No, no, we went six times to went the moon." Yeah. I saw that, and I remember in the uh, with the rocket, you know, they went, they were getting the astronauts. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that. I think it was WPIX News had it. Walter right. Cronkite, that was the original. I think he's still in that time. He had it too. But I remember watching that. Yeah, and, that was um, So you know, it's not like people say it might, they were in the moon. You know, they went there, and then they probably start. They were supposed to go like eight or nine times, and then the course was. Just not worth it anymore. That wasn't worth it. Yeah. yeah. I tell you, I tell you, he was a cool astronaut. I liked it the way he thought. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, you know, I was, uh, you know what, I've seen him on different shows and everything. Like, I know he passed away a few years ago, but you know what, he was doing like, you know, he was doing like kinetic, uh, telekinetic type of things. Like, you know, when he was on the moon, he was actually thinking things and, and, and trying to send those signals mentally to like his uh, yeah, mother he, and so I forth. Think, yeah, he was kind of like a little bit of a. <laughs> interesting person but you know yeah. that dave, dave harvest's friend uh wrote a book and dave published it which is about ed, ed mitchell i believe Edgar oh mitchell. really wow yeah, yeah I'd, like to, it, I'd like to find out more about them go to 18, 1878 press uh by the way okay. the, to all our listeners out there don't forget 1878 press dave harvest you can get yeah, dave, there and that's actually one of them the one i'll check that out yeah dave has mentioned. some cool stuff dave has some cool stuff man wow and, and guys don't forget also stupid comic s-t-o-o-p-i-d-s joe yeah. reminds you don't forget how to spell stupid stupid comics is out there too and uh they have a great issue and we're always in their uh, inside covers and stuff yeah hopefully they're gonna have a uh a new one coming out soon but hey guys we gotta start wrapping this up here so i want to give a special thanks to all of our listeners out there from uh well now all over the world we are so uh thank you to everyone uh make sure you subscribe to our channel whatever platform you're listening to us on give us a, a good review if you so choose you could also visit us on our flagship website uh, house of the unusual.com we have a great forum site there that you could uh, join for free and, and Man, there's some really cool photos and stuff that people post up there of stuff in their collection or what they're looking for. And I just posted in Crypto Classics about the Threads movie. So if you have watched it, make sure you hit up that that thread and uh, drop us a line on there. Also, we are on YouTube. Uh, just type in House of the Unusual, and there's there's tons of videos on there from Eddie and Chuck. And every week there's new videos coming out. So subscribe to the channel, like it, do all that, you know, fun stuff. You guys know what you're doing. But uh, our last two minutes left. Chuck, what do you got? What's your final words for this uh, episode? Right. First, hey. first one of 2022. First one of the day. It's always a pleasure coming here, man. And I, I'm thankful for the listeners. And it's it's great being part of this. And Joe, I wanted to mention, I think the next release on Chuck's Corner, I'm doing a spoof on uh, movies. So there's movies that I mix with magic. So, so you have to check it out. I think you'll get a, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Awesome, sounds good, Eddie. Last words uh, for people that like how to, how to build. Well, Chuck is the number one builder here. He's built his own magic set, which is now also available at uh, Etsy. You can find it on Etsy. Uh, decided not to do it on eBay because eBay, you know, their fees are a little bit too much. But I have it on Etsy and. Um, it should be live. If not today, it'll be live tomorrow, but it, it's definitely live already. And I want to let you guys also know really quick, we were talking and we might consider talking. Remember those plans when you were kids and you would send away on how to build something. Well, we're probably going to have next week or the following week, we'll be discussing those things as to how many of us actually sent away for their own build your own mini bike or build your own seven foot kite. Or as Joe would say, go ahead, Joe, take a drink. Seven <laughs> monster robot plan. <laughs> well, there we go. So make sure everybody tunes in next week. We come out every week on multiple platforms. And once again, we want to thank everybody out there 
for listening. So, Eddie, Chuck, thank you guys for joining us once again. Great topics, great conversation as usual, and we'll see everyone next week. Good night. God bless. God bless. God bless. Good night. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.